On his 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access <laughs> Podcast. Brendan Mortensen joined by Tim Leonard. And Tim, I am a little surprised you are here and not at the chiropractor after carrying our golf <laughs> scramble team solely on your back yesterday. We didn't win, though. How did I we know, not win? We shot. Would you like to share the score? Because yeah. it was mostly yours. So we played in a charity scramble golf tournament yesterday. Yep. Great time. And I thought we did pretty well. We were 13 under, which That's is a, a 59. You know, yeah. like a good score to me. We, we were a little bullish after the round. We get into the clubhouse, and we unfortunately couldn't stay because we had to go back for the Orioles yeah, game at night. Work. Yeah, I know. But we had a great day, and we thought we might have won, but apparently 19 under won. We weren't even close. No. Six, six away from uh, even tying what was the winning score eventually. Not so. close at all. But They it, cheated, it, though, so... Yeah, uh, you got to keep that in mind. Right. We uh, don't know them, but they cheated. That's absolutely. what we're assuming at this point. <laughs> we're not assuming. I think it's a well-known fact that we would have <laughs> won if it weren't for the cheating. Right. So, anyway, it was a great time. And my back is feeling great. You you had some good swings, too. We were, used my ball twice. Yeah. Maybe three times. There was that one par three. That I mean, Huge par three. You can't forget that one par three. Yes. That was everything. I, that is everything to me, and I will carry that <laughs> for the rest of my life that... In a scramble tournament with Tim Leonard, we used one of my tee shots. Yeah. And, and that's that's all I need. But much like my podcast with Paul Mancano, uh, nobody cares about what we are doing outside of the Orioles. Mm -hmm. So let's get right into it. We have a lot to talk about on this edition of the Madison Orioles podcast. We're going to be breaking down what we believe to be the blueprint for how the O's can make the playoffs, and then we will become the general manager and, and we'll send them right to October because we have all right. the correct ideas here. But, Tim, we should start with D.L. Hall. Gets the promotion to the bigs on Saturday, makes just one start, and then is promptly optioned back down to AAA Norfolk. Very weird timeline, very weird sequence of events. As for the start itself, I think it was very on-brand for D.L. Hall. Incredibly. And yeah, by that, there was some really good stuff, and there was a lot of strikeouts, especially in the second inning when he struck out the side. There was also some command issues, especially off the jump, which you can't blame him, being a young kid making his first start. was not an easy stage to make your first start either, which I think is important to note. Going against Shane McClanahan, one of the best lefties, one of the best pitchers, period, in baseball this season. Big divisional game with playoff implications against the Rays. On the road against a good lineup. And he was definitely nervous out of the jump and struggled with command. But the book on DL Hall is the stuff will play. He just needs to hone it a little bit. And I think we definitely saw that in this first start. I think I was surprised by almost every facet. Of this promotion? I mean, we yeah. talked about it on the podcast when he was initially promoted. It didn't really make sense outside of just a pure talent perspective because D.L. Hall has the talent to be a big league pitcher. We saw it even before the season in spring training. I mean, he was blowing people away with a 102-mile-an-hour fastball in spring training. He always has had the stuff, 
But the command issues were the big question in the minors, and those questions weren't really getting answered leading up to his promotion. I think we thought that when he did eventually get this call to the bigs, it was going to be A, as a starter, and B, it would have been because he answered some of those command questions at AAA Norfolk, and at the time of his promotion, he had an ERA close to 12 over his previous three starts at AAA before making a massive start against a very good Tampa Bay Rays team and a team that you are jockeying for playoff positioning with. So, and, and like you mentioned, you're throwing him against Shane McClanahan. Yeah, not so ideal. <laughs> thrown him into probably the biggest series that the Orioles had in years yep. in one of the biggest matchups that they've had in years against Shane McClanahan in a series that mattered so much and so much hinged on... D.L. Hall's start here, and it was, I think, okay to expect a rocky first start because he's a rookie pitcher, and rookie pitchers are known to struggle, so it was just curious that they threw him so quickly into such a big situation and then had such a short leash on his big league stay. Well, and the other thing is, we were wondering, and when you guys did the sort of breaking emergency podcast on Saturday, the day after the news coming out, the question was, well, whose spot is he going to take in the rotation? Because everyone else in the rotation has been not great, but at least good, and not deserving of being demoted or you know losing their spot in the rotation. I think the more I've thought about this, the more it kind of makes sense to me. And I think what happened here is given how the season has gone and given how the Orioles are firmly in a playoff chase right now, and Michael Elias has said some comments recently saying stuff like, I think they can get it done. And this is just not, it's a huge overachievement to get to this point. And it has completely changed their perspective on how they view the late season stretch here. And also, given that D.L. Hall was a, is at 81 and a third innings pitch so far in the season when you combine his starts at the minor league so far in a AAA Norfolk, that means they're, they need to monitor his innings. And also, they're at a position where they don't really want to remove someone from the rotation right now when you're going for a playoff chase. And you don't really want to experiment on someone that could be a little up and down and isn't trending great. That's why they came to the decision, okay, we're going to use him as a reliever, maybe when they can expand the roster to 14 pitchers here September 1st. And that all makes sense. And I think the only thing that they were hesitant about is he is a starting pitcher long term. So they didn't want him to come up and just be used as a reliever. They wanted to get him a start before next year. So I feel like they just kind of like shoehorned in a start here and it just didn't really make sense. And now they're going to send him back down, of course, and he's going to be a reliever. That's the only sort of rationale I've come to is it doesn't really make sense to bring him up for the first time as a reliever and you definitely want to get his feet wet before next season as a starting pitcher because ideally he's a starter in the rotation next season. So you brought up the point where my question marks arise, (laughs) which is the fact that D.L. Hall is going to be a starter moving forward. That will be the plan in the offseason and obviously the hope with D.L. Hall This is somebody who is your second-best pitching prospect in the system. He is your fourth-ranked prospect overall, and he is a consensus top 100 prospect. He's a little bit all over the place on top 100 rankings, depending on where you look. 
because some people are concerned about the injuries. Some people are concerned about command issues. He's been high, as high as a top 30 prospect, according to some outlets, and as low as a 90-something prospect, according to some outlets. But he is going to be a starter long-term. That is the hope for D.L. Hall, is that he is going to be a front-end-of-the-rotation guy because he has that kind of stuff and he has that kind of potential. So my question marks arise where... What is the plan with D.L. Hall in terms of making him a reliever at the end of this year? Because the point for the final few weeks of the season is to develop D.L. Hall as best you can. That should have been the goal for the entire year, which I'm sure it is. If there's one thing we know about Mike Elias, it's that the major league play has not really determined what he is going to do with top prospects. It hasn't dictated... A Gunnar Henderson call-up. It hasn't dictated a Grayson Rodriguez call-up earlier on in the year before his injury. It doesn't change the blueprint. It doesn't change the plan for what Michael Elias wants to do with his top prospects. So why now are you taking your second-best pitching prospect, somebody that you're hoping is going to be a front-end-of-the-rotation starter, and saying, okay, we think D.L. Hall can help us make a playoff push down the stretch here, which might be true. Yeah. But why are you trying to make him a reliever? I think, if anything, you would send him back down to AAA Norfolk to get him some starts because you're not comfortable starting him in the big leagues right now because you're trying to make a playoff push. I get that. But why are you sending him back down to AAA Norfolk to get him acclimated to the reliever role just so that he can help you down the stretch as a reliever this year? That It just... It's surprising to me because nothing that Michael Elias has done is short-sighted. Everything is with yeah. the long-term success and growth of the team in mind. And this just feels a little short-sighted. Well, maybe the counter is this is the first time that he has been in a position where they are in a playoff chase, right? right. And now is where, I mean, it's hard for us to say, like, I agree with the point that he has never had the viewpoint of, you know, how does this help the major league roster yet? That's he, always his quote. He has the longest view in yes, the Yes, but also, like, he hasn't really had an opportunity like this yet. Right. So this is the first time that we've seen the Orioles in a playoff chase, and whether they're going to make the playoffs or not or whether you feel they have a strong possibility of doing so, they are right there. They're right knocking on the door of the wild card, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. They're close right now, and they're in big series. So... There's no doubt that this is unique territory. And I agree, it's a weird situation. I don't know if it's the best way to handle it. They've made the comparison. Chris Holt, the pitching coach, I saw in an article with Rock Kabako, made the comparison to David Price. And when he came up with yep. the Rays in 2009, highly ranked prospect, lefty arm, they were in the middle of a playoff chase. They used him out of the bullpen. And I don't know, it's interesting because I do think D.L. Hall is going to be an important piece in September, and I think he has potential to help them in a middle-inning reliever-type role out of the bullpen. So it probably does help the MLB team maybe even more if he is a reliever versus a starter right now, the way that his command is, the way that he's sort of trending of late at AAA, and the way that the starting rotation has been pitching for the Orioles. So it may be just them trying to sort of straddle the line of, okay, How can we get his feet wet at the major leagues? Because we went into this year and we thought 
we want to get D.L. Hall ready for next year by getting his feet wet. How can we do that but also keep our rotation, which is doing well, intact, keep his innings at a conservative level because we don't want to risk any injury and we want to monitor his innings? And how can we also still sort of make a playoff push and not lose sight of that? So they're trying to balance all of it, and I don't think there's really a way to balance all of it with making a perfect scenario for D.L. Hall, unfortunately. And I'm with you on all of those points, and I also understand that you can't just make him a pure starter at the big leagues at this point because you're trying to monitor those innings. You're trying to make sure that he doesn't re-aggravate any injury that he had coming into this season. I think my holdup is just in sending him back to yeah. AAA Norfolk and having him be a reliever there. If Look, if he's there for a week or two and that's it, fine. I get it. But it seems like kind of the natural next step in his progression, if you don't want to make him a starter right at the way, right away at the big league level, is to make him a reliever at the big league level, which I know is the ultimate plan. But I think sending him back to AAA Norfolk to yeah. work on that is just weird because that's not the long-term goal for D.L. Hall. The long-term goal is, hey this guy should be a starter moving forward. Right, and it seems that they were very transparent with him about the fact, just guessing, that he knew, okay, this is probably going to be one start that I'm going back and I'm going to build my way up as a reliever, which begs the question, what if he just shoved and, and went right. like seven scoreless? Yeah. Then, then what were they going to do? I mean, imagine if he pitched seven scoreless innings and then Rakabako tweets, Orioles have optioned D.L. Hall. What right. would Orioles Twitter have done well, then? And <laughs> the second inning, everyone yeah. just kind of went, D.L. Hall. Right. I mean, man, he struck out the side. I think he pitched a little bit better than his stat line would indicate. Yes. But it wasn't a lot of hard-hit balls off him. I no. think there were only three hard-hit balls, and I saw the expected batting average. I forget who tweeted this out, so I can't get proper credit, but it was 207 for the Rays in right. the game. So, I mean, his stuff, he... He allowed a lot of singles, and there was some command issues, as we expected, but he struck out batters, and he didn't allow a lot of hard contact. That's going to translate over time. Yeah, six strikeouts for D.L. Hall, but it, it was the command issue. He had a few leadoff walks, and then those leadoff walks led to trouble, and you can't surrender leadoff walks if you're going to be a successful starter at the big league level. So D.L. Hall heading back to AAA Norfolk, hopefully... We are, we are hoping that it will not be a long stay yeah. there because, you know, like we said, it, it makes more sense to have him up at the big league level as a reliever for the end of this year. And then our assumption is that in the offseason, he will go back to being a starter. That will be the plan and will be competing for a starting rotation spot next year. Yeah, and... I still view him pretty much the same way I viewed him before this start. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason to overreact or it was a tough spot. He didn't have a great start, but a lot of really good prospects have not had a great start their first time out. So he's still a starter long term. He still could be a number two or a number three, and his stuff is still excellent. I wouldn't overreact to maybe some nervousness and some command issues. So D.L. Hall will probably be back up sometime in September in the reliever role, hoping to make the Orioles, uh, help the Orioles make a playoff push here, which is what we're going to be discussing, the blueprint for how the Orioles can make a playoff push, what the team needs to do to get to October baseball, uh, win more baseball games. All right, thanks yeah. for tuning into the podcast. <laughs> we'll uh, see you next week. <laughs> So, Tim, I'll start with the starting rotation. 
and they just need to stay consistent. I mean, the starting rotation has been excellent. Jordan Lyles, I think, has been better than expected, but he's been doing pretty much what you expected him to do this year, which is just eat innings, num, 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 (laughs) and save the bullpen a little bit, and he just keeps you in games. And in general, that's just what the starting rotation has been doing this year. There have only been two games in August in which the Orioles have allowed more than five runs, which was the start that D.L. Hall made on Saturday where he surrendered five runs and then one just kind of weird fluky game against the Pirates. They did allow five runs once against the Blue Jays, but outside of that, the starting rotation has kept them in every single game during this stretch in August, and the bullpen has been great and the bullpen will win you a lot of games if the starting rotation can keep you in it. Yeah, and it just keeps getting more crazy as days pass that it's still happening, right? right? I mean, I think when the Orioles first were hovering around 500, which is funny to think about now because, remember, when they hit 500, or they were like two games below 500, we were freaking out. Yeah. And now here they are five games above and in the middle of a wild card chase, and suddenly it's become kind of normal because night in and night out they are playing great team baseball and the pitching has stayed at a sustainable level, which is kind of amazing because I think if I was on this podcast in July, and maybe I I said quotes, I don't even remember, but the bullpen was the question mark for me of, okay, how long is this going to last? Because, yes, the bullpen has exceeded expectations to this point, but it's not a lot of high-pedigree guys, and frankly, it's a lot of young guys that have overachieved and bullpens just by nature are volatile, and, and pitching staffs just by nature are volatile. Sometimes guys go in ruts that are really good pitchers, sometimes shaky pitchers. Like I think of a guy like Andrew Haney last year who goes to a different team, and all of a sudden he's pitching lights out on the Dodgers versus having a rough year for the Yankees. That's just pitching. Guys have up and down years by nature. But it seems like whatever the Orioles have figured out as a pitching staff, has some more sustainability to it than the stats would indicate. And at this point, you can't help but just kind of, you know, tip your cap to the pitching staff, to the entire coaching staff, and to the pitchers themselves. Because when you see what Austin Voth has done, his ERA plus when he was on the Nationals was a 39. He had ERA 10-something when he was pitching for the Nationals in 19 games this year. He comes over to the Orioles. His ERA plus right now is 126. And, yeah, and, and ERA plus, the yeah. average is at 100. It, right. So if you are at a 36, very bad. And yes. then if you are at a 26, you're about 26% better than the average yeah. pitcher. And just basic ERA numbers, he went from 10-something to a 3.12 ERA for the right. Orioles right now. And it's like a somewhat small sample size, but, I mean, he's pitched a good amount at this point. He's had 12 yeah. appearances. I think he's up to eight or nine starts. So... You look at a name like that, and yes, in order to make the playoffs, they have to keep pitching at that level. And the question becomes, how much of Austin Voth pitching great is sustainable, and how much of it is the Orioles pitching staff just finding something and curing something in his pitching, and they've done that across the board, and how much of it is just, you know, the starts have aligned, and at some point, all these pitchers are going to come back down to earth a little bit. Well, look, if you're only surrendering three, four runs every game, you're going to win a lot of baseball games. And when we talked about D.L. Hall and the fact that he couldn't really kick anybody out of this starting rotation right now, a lot of it has to do with the guys that are at the bottom of this starting rotation who don't have the raw talent that D.L. Hall has. 
but they're just pitching really, really well. I mean, Spencer Watkins, in 13 of his first 15 starts, allowed three runs or fewer. That wins you a ton of games. And like you mentioned, Austin Voth has been spectacular since coming from Washington. He looks like a completely different pitcher. And like you said, I mean, the coaching staff has to get a ton of credit for what they've been able to do with some of these pitchers. And we're seeing younger guys develop as well. Tyler Wells, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer have all seen a lot of improvements throughout the course of the year. Tyler Wells was excellent before going down with injury. Maybe he comes back in September as well. But if the starting rotation is going to consistently be this good, I mean, that that's point one for how the Orioles can make the playoffs is if the starting pitching is keeping you in every game, the bullpen is going to win you a lot of games because the back end of the bullpen has been consistently great. And if you have consistently good starting pitching and a consistently great bullpen, if the lineup is scoring five runs a game, you're winning a ton of baseball yeah. games. Yeah, I mean, really, last night's game was a perfect sort of summation of the Orioles' season in a way because right. they put together this lineup that is it gets criticized on Twitter when it comes out, and Ryan McKenna's batting leadoff, but no one has an unbelievable game. Ryan Mountcastle, which we can talk about later, has a pretty good game, and it's good to see him kind of training in the right direction. McKenna has, he did have his first career three-hit game, but the pitching was just like, Good. It wasn't great. I mean, I guess the bullpen was a scoreless stretch after Kyle Bradish came out, but Brian Baker allowed a couple loud foul balls and stuff like that and loud outs, and you're sitting there like, oh, it's showing some cracks maybe, but they just win, and, right. and it's just a team win, and that's what they've done consistently. And at this point, despite what the stats say and despite what our eyes might be saying about okay, Spencer Watkins might not be, you know, a long-term piece necessarily, or maybe his stuff isn't the flashiest. Maybe it's not, he's not throwing 99-100 out there, but he's getting the job done. They're throwing strikes, and the strides they have made from last year, it's easy to kind of forget, but last year's pitching staff, the ERA, the walks, it was tough to watch at times, very tough to watch, and not just last year, but even the all the years of the rebuilds. To make that big of a leap, when, yes, I think the talent has gotten better this year in the pitching staff, but they also lost John Means. They've also dealt with now Tyler Wells is on the IL. So there's been some injuries to the pitching staff, and they have made such a big leap. It's just great to see, and I think it's a testament to the coaching staff, really, more than anything. So the starting pitching rotation staying consistent is point number one. And the the major point, I think, of this blueprint of how the Orioles make the playoffs. This isn't part of the blueprint, but you mentioned it, so I want to bring it up. Can we have some more faith in Brandon Hyde's yes, lineup, please? Thank you. I mean, this is somebody who it should be up there for manager of the year because the Orioles are overachieving like nobody's business right now. The fact that we are having a podcast in mid-August about how the Orioles can be playing baseball in October is ridiculous at this point in the rebuild. And it seems like every time the lineup is posted, yes, there have been occasional lineups that are looking a little bit weird and don't score a lot of runs. And a lot of the reason that maybe the lineup is looking weird because there are some AAA guys that could get a promotion and could be filling roles, but we'll talk about that in a minute, (laughs) which isn't Brandon Hyde's responsibility. 
But even yesterday, take yesterday's yeah. lineup, where Cedric Mullins is out of the lineup because he only hits 200 on the year against lefties. Ryan McKenna is batting leadoff, and Orioles fans are up in arms because Ryan McKenna is batting leadoff. And what does Ryan McKenna do? He gets three hits. He increases his average to over 270, which is one of the better batting averages on the team in a smaller sample size. And Brandon Hyde is once again proving that, yeah, maybe the big league manager knows how to make a quality lineup. I know there have been some questions about Ruknet Odor as well. He had a great series against the Rays. Ruknet Odor was not the reason that the Orioles dropped two out of three in Tampa. Brandon Hyde knows how to make a lineup. Yeah, and I do think what a fan would say to counter this is you can be happy with how Brandon Hyde is doing and also make little critiques every once in a while at his lineup. And I agree with that. I mean, that's baseball. You see a lineup that your favorite team puts out, and immediately you think, okay, what would I be doing? How would this be different? That's totally natural. But I do think the criticism has gone, if anything, a little overboard recently where it feels like every lineup that doesn't have Adley Rutschman in it were immediately, you know, I will raising say pitchforks. That was one of the question marks was why wasn't Adley Rutschman catching D.L. Hall? That was That's one a I question. didn't agree with. Yeah. I, I agree with that gripe. Yes. But other than that, Brandon Hyde knows how to make a good lineup. Yeah, and at a certain point, it's almost like the way that you talk about a closer or these other thankless jobs in baseball where you can nitpick little things, but at a certain point, you also have to consider the total body of work and the fact that, yes, Brandon Hyde over the course of a season is naturally going to make three or four decisions that irk you as a fan. Right. But also, this team is 60-55, and and Brandon Hyde is heading up that team that has a roster of a bunch of guys that are overachieving to this point and shouldn't be in this position. And you have to wonder, if it wasn't Brandon Hyde as the manager, what would their record be? So it's just balancing that lineup. Sure, I'm fine with critiquing the lineup every once in a while, but you also have to keep in mind, Adley Rutschman can't play every game. as right. He can't catch every game. That's There's going to be lineups over the course of a week for any baseball team, no matter how talented you are, that is not their best lineup. And... There's going to be lineups where someone's have, having an off day, someone has a little bruise that they're out of the lineup, and I think too often recently the reaction has been, oh my gosh, what is this lineup, when it's just been an instance of Adley's getting a day off from catching, and Robinson Chirinos is in the lineup because of that. Or Ryan McKenna, who again proved why he was in the lineup against Kikuchi last night against a left-hander was in the lineup, and Cedric Mullins is out because of obvious reasons. And by the way, that has paid off now twice, so I don't think we can really gripe about that. So let's talk about the lineup. If the Orioles are going to make the playoffs, they need some more consistent play out of Ryan Mountcastle and out of Austin Hayes. The rest of the lineup has been hitting really well. We have seen fantastic performances from Cedric Mullins, Adley Rutschman, Anthony Santander, Jorge Mateo, Ramon Arias, And that is kind of overshadowing the fact that Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes have been slumping pretty heavily over the last month plus here. I mean, you go back to July 1st, both Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes have an OPS of 600 or below and have a batting average just over 200. And I know Ryan Mountcastle is now playing the Blue Jays, so hopefully (laughs) that'll be a little bit of a bump to his numbers But if the Orioles are going to stay in this wild card race, they need two of their most talented players. I think you could make the case that just based on raw talent, Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes are 
near the top of the list of just purely talented players on this Orioles roster. And they are going to be consistently in the middle of this lineup. They've been hitting somewhere from four to six lately, which has mostly been a result of the fact that they haven't been hitting great. So Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes need to be better compliments to guys like Abdi Rutschman and Anthony Santander. Yeah, and just to put some context on these numbers, Austin Hayes, at least going into last night, his last 17 games before last night, hitting just 197, 12 for 68 at the plate, OPS of 560. Ryan Mountcastle, last 26 games, including last night, where he did have a good game, he homered, he walked twice, was actually... It's funny that we're having this topic now because I think that could have been Ryan Mountcastle rounding a corner last night, the way that he was seeing the ball despite Hopefully. playing through injury. And it was against the Blue Jays, so maybe that's exactly what he needed to break out of the slump here. But last 26 games, including last night for Mountcastle, 177 average and a 533 OPS. He's only hit two homers over the last 26 games, including one last night. It's interesting because I think you also have to factor in that this is sort of who Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes are. They're going to be a little inconsistent at times over the course of a season just because of the type of players that they are. I mean, they're in the lower percentile of chase rate according to any metric that you look at and stat cast and all that stuff. But they also hit the ball hard when they hit it, especially Mountcastle. He's always up there, exit velocities. And he's just a fascinating player, right? Because... You look at his stat cast page and the percentiles for exit v low and hard hit and barrel percentage are all right up there at the top. And then its chase rate is at the bottom. It's like he's either really good at something or he's not good at something. Right. So that's when you have that type of sort of profile as a player, it probably breeds some inconsistency. But the way that Mountcastle was seeing the ball last night was definitely very encouraging. Yeah. Well, look. Without Trey Mancini in the middle of this lineup, you need Ryan Mountcastle to start hitting home runs. Yeah. And we entered the season talking about Ryan Mountcastle as a guy who could potentially hit 30 homers. I mean, we knew the left field wall was getting pushed back, and mm -hmm. that would hurt him a little bit. But Mountcastle, more than likely, isn't going to get close to 30 home runs no. this year unless he goes on a torrid pace for the rest of the season, which will be awesome, and we hope it happens. But Ryan Mountcastle this year really just hasn't been the hitter that we expected him to be in terms of the power. And the average really hasn't been there either. I think it would have been more understandable if he hit, you know, 20 homers, but his average was up closer to 280. That was always the book on Mountcastle coming out of the minor leagues was that there were so many defensive question marks, but A, he was a great power hitter, and B, his average was still pretty good as well. This wasn't going to be a guy that was going to hit 220 with 45 bombs and strike out 170 times. He was probably going to hit like 275 and have 25, 30 homers. And we haven't really seen either of those things come to fruition this year. And maybe those projections were a little bit bullish, but I don't think Ryan Mountcastle, I think he would probably agree, is not really playing up to the potential that we thought he had in terms of his approach at the plate, the power numbers, really any of it. Yeah, and I'm glad you made the point about the left field wall because it is almost unfair to compare one season to another now. And going forward, his home run numbers might dip a little bit. Sure. You can even look at advanced numbers that say that he's expected to have a little bit more home run production than he has had. But also, the home run production is still definitely down from last year despite the left field wall. And the average is down. He's hitting right around 250 right now. So is Austin Hayes. The interesting thing is Mountcastle's expected batting average is supposed to be 
or it's right around 277, I think, according to Fangraphs. So out of the two of them, it seems like I'd be a little more confident that Mountcastle kind of finds some form here towards the end of the season. The injury is a little bit concerning, but it clearly wasn't a factor last night. He got hit by a pitch a couple games ago and was back in the lineup last night. Said he was playing through pain, but just the way he was seeing the ball last night was really encouraging. To have two walks in a game, that's only the second time this year that he has had more than one walk in a game for the Orioles. So that's a stat, and that's something that we'll always talk about with Ryan Mountcastle that you'd like to see improve and not swinging at pitches outside the zone. He just had a couple of bats last night where it looked like a different type of player and a player that wasn't in a slump and a player that didn't have the profile of a very high chase rate and all that. So that's encouraging. He's also playing the Blue Jays, so I guess this is a good time to buy stock in him. But I do think we will see Mountcastle round into form. Hayes, I would expect to not stay on this low of a decline. The numbers on him maybe don't support as much of a turnaround as Mountcastle, but we still should see him play better. And you're right, without Trey Mancini, that's when it really hits you that, man, you you could really use Ryan Mountcastle at first base every game, giving you good production. You could really use Austin Hayes. Yeah, and I think there's got to be a happy middle ground somewhere with Austin Hayes. I mean, this is somebody that we were talking about as a potential all-star I know. for a while. I mean, when the all-star votes were coming out, we were surprised when Austin Hayes was down as low as he was because he was having an all-star caliber first He's half He's just of hot the year. or cold, and it's, right. it's frustrating, right? Yeah. yeah, and with Austin Hayes, the colds have been just really cold. Yeah. I, he's not really coming through in big-time situations right now, and again, I'm sure he'd be the first one to say that he needs to play better because he is going to be a consistent fixture in the middle of this lineup, as he should be. He's great defensively in a corner outfield, and you're going to keep him in the lineup because of that. But he's just not really hitting right now, and you need Austin Hayes to hit in the middle of the lineup because right now you have Mountcastle and Hayes, and neither of them are giving you a lot of production in the middle. It seems like Anthony Santander has been a machine lately. We know what Adley Rutschman is doing in the two-hole here. And then it almost seems like after Austin Hayes, you're getting into the Taron Vavras and the Jorge Mateos who are playing really, really well right now. They are really outplaying Austin Hayes over the last few weeks here. And it seems like there's kind of a middle of the lineup lull where you get to the 5-6 spot where you'd maybe have Mountcastle, Odor, and Hayes, and none of them are really hitting. And then things pick back up a little bit once you hopefully get to a Taron Vavra and Jorge Mateo. Yeah, and I will say it's fascinating this year how when someone's on a hot or when someone's on a cold streak in the lineup, it feels like there's someone on a hot streak to counteract that. And right now that that is kind of Jorge Mateo. Taron Vavra's been good. Adley's just now I think we can expect exactly. this from him. He's he's yep. Adley at this point. And frankly, it's underrated how good he's been. The fact that yeah. he's leading the team in war and he's played significantly less games than some of the guys that have started the year at the major league level. He's been outstanding. You can't talk about that enough. But, yes, they need more from Hayes. They need more from Mountcastle in the middle of this order. And I guess the good news is, and the positive spin you could put on this, is they have not been hitting well for a while now. The Orioles have been playing a tough stretch of games against divisional opponents. Before the All-Star break and before the trade deadline, you could have made the case, okay, when they went on that winning streak, it was against weaker competition. It wasn't against divisional opponents. They've been doing well at home. They've been doing well against uh, National League competition, teams that they're not going to play towards the end of the season as much. Well, now 
yes, they had a bit of a shaky series against the Rays and almost got perfect games, and we, we don't have to talk about that too much. But in general, they have had some really good games against divisional opponents, teams in the playoff mix, teams that are also putting out their best lineup night in and night out. So the fact that they are doing that with Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle slumping means that maybe there's a reason for optimism that they will turn the corner soon, and then that could elevate them into the playoffs. Yeah, and this is the Playoff Push podcast. We are breaking (laughs) down what the Orioles need to do to make a playoff run here. And look, the, the competition is going to get harder. The Rays are getting healthier. They have not had... Wander Franco, Kevin Kiermeyer, Brandon yeah. Lau, Tyler Glass now. They they have not had a lot of key pieces of their team. They are going to get healthier. The Twins made some good acquisitions at the trade deadline, like Jorge Lopez. Mm-hmm. They are still very much a threat in the AL wildcard race. The Orioles need Mariners to... Too. The, the yeah. Mariners as yep. well. So if the Orioles are going to make the playoffs, things need to step up a little bit. The lineup needs to go from... Pretty good, and look, Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes need to go from below average production to good production if the Orioles are going to make a playoff push, plain and simple. And sticking with the lineup, again, this is purely a breaking down what we think the Orioles need to do if their sole goal is to make the playoffs this year. They could promote some guys from AAA Norfolk, one of which is Gunnar Henderson, the other is Kyle Stowers. Those are the two big names right now that have been consistently floated around. Gunnar Henderson continues to get some Manny Machado comparisons when Machado was called up as a 19-year-old to help the Orioles make a playoff push. There is a case to be made that that might not be the best thing for Gunnar Henderson developmentally. He is freshly 21 years old, hasn't had a huge sample size at AAA Norfolk. He's been there for a decent amount of games now, but hasn't had a massive sample size that is kind of a different conversation right? and not really the conversation that we are having right now. The conversation is how are the Orioles going to play baseball in October? And there is a strong case to be made that if that is the goal, then Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers can help you do that. Yes, and if they bring up Gunnar Henderson, going back to kind of our conversation about D.L. Hall and their plan with him and what does that say about Mike Elias and how he views this current team and how actively he's trying to make a push for the playoffs – that would be a, a firm indication that, okay, they are, they're kind they're, of they're putting in. their chips in. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're going for it. They want to make the playoffs this year. They think that would be critical for this rebuild to give some of these young guys some playoff experience, and you can make that case. So Gunnar Henderson is one case that, yes, I think he would definitely elevate the MLB roster, and if they promoted him, that would be good for the Orioles' chances of making the playoffs. Kyle Stowers, I think, is also, you could say, the same things, and... I don't think there's as much of a conversation of what does that do for his development? Is he too young? I mean, obviously, he's not too young. He's been playing a lot of AAA games. I believe he's 25 right now, and he's already come up. He looked decent in that Toronto series. And frankly, I think if there wasn't a Brett Phillips move at the deadline and he wasn't on the roster, we probably already would have seen Kyle Stowers fill that spot. He continues to hit good at AAA Norfolk, and... Again, the, the conversation with him, and this is more of a conversation of will he get called up, I know, than what they need to do to make the playoff push. But And you guys had this conversation last week, but I think it's important to sort of bring up this point again that, to me, it just doesn't make sense to have Brett Phillips and Kyle Stowers 
on the same active roster right. at the same time. And I just don't know when they're going to make the move for Kyle Stowers. And if they make the move for Kyle Stowers in September, when you have extra roster spots, would you send down Brett Phillips or would you do away with Brett Phillips at that point? That's the the big question mark here. And that's the one that Gunnar Henderson, when it comes to September, you can add him and you don't really have to make a corresponding move. And I guess you wouldn't necessarily have to do that with Stowers, but it just doesn't make sense to have Stowers and Phillips on the same roster. Well, look, we try not to be repetitive here on the Madison Orioles podcast. We try to keep things funky fresh. But look, we keep having the conversation because they're not here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they're still hitting amazing, too. Because we keep looking at their numbers and going, okay, what else do they need to do? And I think you brought up a good point, Tim, which we haven't really talked about which is that the Orioles are, I think, are so firmly in the playoff chase at this point. Like, they have gone from a fun story to, okay, they're in this thing. Like, we are in mid-August, and the Orioles are within a few games of the final AL wildcard spot. It's it's now time to start talking about them more seriously in this playoff push, and I think there is a very good case to be made that if you are hoping that Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers are on your opening day roster for 2023 and hopefully significant contributors to the lineup in 2023. Look what happened in the minor leagues last year in Bowie. The Bowie Bay Sox were making a playoff push. And I understand that that's the minor leagues and that's different. This is not a major league playoff push. However, my point is that you called up some top prospects to buoy last year, like Gunnar Henderson. And I think Gunnar Henderson would probably tell you that being in that kind of environment where you are on a team that is just charging full steam ahead to the playoffs, granted the minor league playoffs, I got you. is yep. still quality and it's still beneficial for his development and I think you could make a solid case that if you want Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers to be significant contributors next season that calling them up right now and bringing them into a major league locker room that is going full steam ahead trying to make the playoffs that could be massive for their development because you're trying to build a winning team in 2023 and what helps develop a winning culture more than bringing young prospects into a situation where you're trying to make the playoffs. And also, Michael Elias has been pretty vocal lately about their plans for this offseason, right? Right. And he said stuff like... It's liftoff. It's liftoff from here, right? The famous quote that yeah. he will never get tired of hearing, hopefully, and it's, it's going to be attached to him for the next several years now after he said that. Also, just recently saying stuff about how it's a big offseason, they're going to significantly escalate the uh, pay structure and, and, and the, the salary cap that the Orioles have at their disposal. So that's all exciting. And that, to me, says we want to be ready from opening day in 2023 to be competitive in a very tough division that is very competitive and make a serious run at this. And it's not some fluky thing. It is, okay, the Orioles are here to stay. After a good year last year, they have backed it up. And I think you're right. Maybe the best way to do that is giving Gunnar Henderson a taste this year in a good culture and a good sort of environment right now in the clubhouse and adding him to the roster where there's 
yes, maybe a little bit more pressure on him, but he's also been hitting so good that you'd think right now he's just kind of on cloud nine with how quickly and how good the season has gone and how everything is, you know, going according to plan. He's all of a sudden the number one prospect in baseball, according to some outlets. Maybe this is the year to bring him up when things are trending, and then you have that full offseason where it's very clear he is a member of the Baltimore Orioles next year. He is going to be on the opening day roster, and then he could get off to a better start at the beginning of next year. It's a long season next year, but it'd be nice to get off to the best start possible next year when you are, quote-unquote, going all in maybe and making some moves in the offseason. Well, and, and that's kind of what you want, right? Yeah. You would want to bring Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers into a situation where it's go time. Yeah. It's, all right, this is the culture now. The Orioles expect to win baseball games. The Orioles expect to be in the playoff push. Welcome to the fire. Like, th- this is what we're going to be doing. We are making a playoff push, and this is the culture that you're now a part of. And not only do I think that it would be probably beneficial for their development, but it's a few things. First of all, what more do you really need to see from either of these guys? I mean, Kyle Stowers has played over 100 games now at AAA Norfolk. He has an OPS over 900, almost 20 homers. Gunnar Henderson, I understand, hasn't played as many games at AAA Norfolk, but I think he has pretty much answered most of the questions that you had about Gunnar Henderson getting called up to that level. He's hitting left-handers better. He is playing a quality defensive shortstop, which we wouldn't even need at the big league level right now because you could play him at third base. I think they've answered a lot of questions, and especially when you're looking at the big league roster right now. I mean, Brett Phillips, I understand the Orioles traded for him and wanted him on this roster, and he plays a quality defensive outfield. He has not been hitting. Yeah. We haven't really seen Brett Phillips get back to the Brett Phillips of the past few seasons with the Rays. I understand that maybe the Orioles just believe the potential is there because of what he's done over the last few years but he really hasn't been hitting in the smaller sample size that he's gotten. You would have to think that Kyle Stowers might be an upgrade there, even though Stowers doesn't have the pedigree of a Gunnar Henderson, not a top 100 prospect, but Stowers is mashing in AAA Norfolk and Brett Phillips isn't really hitting right now. And the other thing is, if they're going to make the comparison as they did with D.L. Hall to David Price, well, if you feel that way about one prospect then you can make that comparison to several other players with Gunnar Henderson, right? Machado, and I think of even like Xander Bogarts comes up towards the end of a season. It's very common that we've seen a young prospect get elevated when the September roster expansion happens. You go into the postseason, and they hit pretty well in the postseason. And I would feel pretty confident that if Gunnar Henderson came up, given his pedigree, given how well he's been hitting against older pitchers than him at AAA, now he probably wouldn't put up the same numbers at AAA. I think our expectations, you'd have to temper them a little bit. Even Adley struggled right out of the gate. Several people struggle, but you would feel confident that he would be making a positive impact on this roster while also getting his feet wet and getting some more experience that could be valuable for next year. That's the Gunnar Henderson conversation. To me, the Kyle Stowers conversation, there's really not a ton of excuses for not bringing him up at some point. And I think they will bring him up at some point soon because I just don't see the season ending where Kyle Stowers made his MLB debut in the middle of the year. And I know it was a different scenario with the Toronto series where they needed a roster spot, but they were comfortable enough to bring him up then. Why wouldn't you bring him up again? I mean, it just doesn't feel right that we'll see Kyle Stowers and we'll look back at his baseball reference page in five, six years and be like, 
So he came up for four or five games, did or less than that, I guess, but he came up for a series, did pretty well, continued to hit great at AAA, but he didn't come back up after that. It, it right. feels like they will bring him up, but then it's, okay, what do you do with Brett Phillips after you bring him up? And I understand the fan perspective of it as well, where you have had some Orioles games lately where the lineup isn't producing as well as you would have liked, and then you look at the AAA Norfolk box yep. score, and you see a top three of Kyle Stowers, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, and they combine for like six hits, and you're like, what are they doing down there? Right. Yeah. I mean, man, like they would be, <laughs> you have to think that they would probably be helping the big league roster, but it's not a guarantee, again. And that's the thing we have to keep in mind with Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers is that they are great prospects, and we are hoping that if they got the call to the big leagues, they would be a help and they would be able to push the Orioles towards the playoffs and hopefully get a wild card spot. But Adley Rutschman struggled for the first few weeks that he was promoted to the Orioles, and it's natural for a rookie to struggle when they get up here. I mean, Taron Vavra played great out of the gate, but Taron Vavra... has been an exception. He's yeah. just kind of a different player. I mean, that's somebody who is probably going to hit like five home runs a year if he's lucky, but he's going to hit, you know, probably 300 if we're you know, bullish on Taron yeah, Bobber. Less and he's swing and have, miss in his game. Yeah. Kyle Stowers has some of that. Gunner has some of that as well. And that's just the type of player they are. You're comfortable with it because you understand that they have a lot of upside as well. Right. Taron Bobber is just going to be an on-base machine. And we knew that when he got promoted, we didn't think he was going to hit this well. But Taron Bobber, I think, is kind of an exception. It's entirely possible that Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers could get promoted and struggle. But this is the Playoff Blueprint podcast, and we are talking about <laughs> what we think could help the Orioles make a playoff push here. Did we miss anything, Tim? I think our three big points were that the starting pitching rotation needs to stay consistent. Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes need to start hitting a little better, and maybe you promote some, some AAA Norfolk guys that could help you. No, I, I think that's it. The pitching is, to me, the biggest thing, though. Yeah. I know we talked about that uh, 20 minutes ago or something now, and maybe we've talked about the other stuff a little bit more, but these things, the season has been going well because of the pitching, and I don't think you can oversay that. When you look at the Orioles' team stats compared to the previous years, batting average, everything like that, really hasn't changed a ton. If anything... Sometimes you look at their batting average, and at least the last time I looked, it dipped a little bit compared to the year before. Now you can make a case that across Major League Baseball, last I checked, the batting average is down as well. But point is, the big difference this year to last year is the pitching, and that needs to stay consistent because it's a cliche, but you know, pitching matters more and more as you go deeper into the season. And there's some theory that maybe the bullpen will get more tired and so on and so forth, but I think they've done a good job of mixing in different arms. And at this point, I think it's sustainable, and I think the biggest thing going forward is just to keep pitching the way that they have. Well, there is our foolproof plan for how the Orioles can be playing baseball in October. Next week when we are back on the Mass and Orioles podcast, this might end up being a very different conversation based on how this series in Toronto goes and the Orioles have a big stretch here to determine where they will be in the AL wildcard standings. Our own Paul Mancano is in Toronto right now covering that series for MassInSports.com, so make sure you are following along with everything Paul has over this three-game series. The Orioles took game one yesterday, which was huge mm -hmm. and goes a long way in adding to our blueprint for how the Orioles could be playing playoff baseball. 
It also it gives Paul a game on you in the road trip standings, right? This Are you still true. keeping tabs on that? That's a big I win have for Paul. I tried not to because my road trip <laughs> record is just terrible. Right. And I, I don't want to remind uh, the three people that are watching this podcast of just how terrible my Sorry, road trip it's a record sore is. But th- yeah, thanks, Tim, for just rubbing <laughs> that in my face a little bit. But I think that will just about do it here for the Mass and Orioles podcast. As always, make sure you are tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast, you can get the Masson All Access podcast. Thank you so much to Amy Jennings for producing today's episode. Thank you for Tim for pinch hitting here a little bit for Paul Mancano. We will be back next week with another edition of the Mass and Orioles podcast. We hope to see you then.